So Ultra's the first person that you 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 bring Andre, in. Andre Hoklaw was the first person. Andre. But uh, Ultra Nintendo was the first person to have a major label record deal. Profile was pretty big though. They had run DMC. So we 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 thought we were something to have a record out on Profile after having a record out on Jump Street, you know, like, oh, we got a record out on Profile. Brian Chin was the AR guy. You know, he was like, he signed that record. I was like, oh man. Record sounds like crap too. I mean, demo is is it's like a Chicago demo, you know. It's like, but back then it had a vibe, you know. And the reason why did the demos sound so horrible, as you said, technology. You know, we didn't. You know, we didn't have the technology. We don't write. You know, we were starting to move into that. You know, getting better samplers, tape machines, and stuff like that. We were just discovering. You know, this whole thing out. You know, That's and. Right. Uh, so so when we got when we got a major label deal with Alternate, you know, we had to step out game up, you know. Oh, so okay, so describe that, you know, when you, you're sitting down and what was the process for you guys to sit and write for Ultra? Like what what was the thought <clears throat> to it? How did that all flow? You know, or should I say the pecking order? How did that all you know track made first or you guys wrote songs? How did well, that all well, well, around that time, we 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 all we had a we started to develop not only a stable of singers but a stable of musicians. And Mark Harris was our first musician, keyboard player. Um, and Neil Conway came next, and then Gary Hudge, and then so on and so on and so on. But these guys were also songwriters. You know, they were they weren't just keyboard players. They wrote. Compositions. They would turn. They would say, "Teddy or Jay or Tommy, listen to this piece of music." And the process is basically we gather a bunch of tracks that we like. Ultra was a, a lyricist. Ultra writes. She actually writes, and and I would help her with the hooks. I'm a good. Yeah, you know, I work well with hooks, and she works well. She can write a storyline. So we worked a lot on that first album. Uh, a lot together, Blue Notes in the, in the basement. We worked, to, her and I worked together on that album a lot. Um, and you know, with the musicians turning the tracks, I mean, sometimes the music might come first, sometimes the song come first. You know, it 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 would it would change. You know, depending on what 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 inspired the song. You know, first. So it, it would be different times. You know, the music. You know. So when you went to Eternal, was it or at that yeah. time? When you went to Eternal, did you send over a full album's worth of material? No, 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 no. There's a big story missing from this whole thing. I didn't tell that story. <laughs> so, so we have a relationship with Cynthia Cherry at, at Jump Street Records. And she has an A&R position after she left Jump Street. She moved to London. And she's Peter Edge's right-hand man who just started this label called Eternal over in London. And Cynthia Cherry is the A&R. So that was the bidding war for Alch's first record. It's over now. We did the demos and um, Tony was killing this record. This is again, Tony Humphreys. Tony Humphreys had this bidding war going on in New York City. That record was going to come out with Will Sokoloff on Sleeping Bag. Record. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Alternate was going to be on Sleeping Bag Records. But Cynthia heard Tony play it, and she said, oh, hell no. I know them. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> she called us up and said, hey, hey, 
we got to have that record over here. And we said Warner Brothers versus Sleeping Bag. We packed our bags and we went to Jolly Old London, man. <laughs> that was our first trip to London. I met Norman Jay. I went to his, his first club, High and Hope, and that was the beginning of that whole thing happening over London. All that was happening to get all simultaneously. That was around 88, 89, 88, something like that. It's over now. No more me and you. Yeah, that was the, that was the jam, man. London was so up. And yeah. big posters of Ultra in the subway, and it was just bananas. So Cynthia Cherry is responsible big responsible for us having that deal. I mean, she 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 came in in the last second and swooped that deal. Fantastic ears. She's yeah, she has fantastic ears. She always has, yeah. Always has. She's she's a what I call a fantastic selector of she's proven it with the record she's worked with. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um so so Archers was our first major label deal, Lenny. So you know we're we we and we told them we we it had to be done Internationally, it had to be it had to come out in America, you know. So that's how we got the whole international deal. You know, we we had great lawyers and we had great people around us, you know, making moves for us. We started our publishing company. We just we just started this whole empire thing. You know, we started off. We hadn't even met Crystal Waters yet. Mm. <laughs> Ultra's that is is basically the the first position. Uh, yeah, she's like the first lady, yeah. First lady in the house. So she comes in <laughs> that door. So yeah. that's, tell us your story. Keep going, because only you could tell it. I can't tell it. So <laughs> well, well, right after that, um Jay and uh Tommy went to you know, back then we were going to remember those new music seminars they used to have in in, in New York. <clears throat> and and the people would pass out their tapes, yo, can you sell me, can you sell me? <laughs> so <laughs> So they went to a seminar in DC. And they came, I didn't go, but they came back with a bunch of tapes and we listened to some tapes. And one of these cassette tapes was a group, uh, a duo, uh, Martin Art, girl and guy dudes, Crystal and a, and a guy named Bert. And they were doing like this uh swing out sister type thing, jazzy thing, which I'm into, you know, I'm, I'm I love all kinds of music. And I was like, wow, her voice is dope. But the songs, it's not that happening, you know. But she's dope. Let's let's just <laughs> let's just let's, let's just give her a call. Let's just meet them, you know. So so they came in. Long story short, we broke them out because what we really was interested in is was Crystal. She she wrote she wrote really interesting lyrics, and we had our deal with Ultra, of course, with Warner Brothers. So we we asked her to write some songs for Ultra. Oh, she wrote, yes. Yeah, Crystal Waters came in to I, I read I dug her voice, but I really dug the vibe and everything. I said, well, maybe she could write some songs for for Ultra, you know. She wrote she wrote she wrote Gypsy Woman. Um Neil, Neil Conway wrote the track. We gave we gave Crystal, that's how that process. Neil Conway wrote the track. We produced the track. We gave the track to Crystal. Crystal wrote the lyrics. We gave it to Ultra. Ultra recorded. I have that. I have that demo around here somewhere. Oh wow! But nobody could sing it like Crystal. 
And we said, Crystal, you have to do this record. You know, nobody can do this shit. You know, nobody can do what you're doing. Nobody can do this slurring the voices and all like, you know, that whole vibe, Eartha Kitt type thing. Nobody can do that. So she did it and she cut it and she she sang and there's only one line is uh as she said there singing for money and she stopped. And Tommy and I were like, hey, we hit the button, hey, do that again, like do that a lot of times, like just keep doing it. <laughs> doing it. Just keep doing it. And that's how that whole that's how that whole thing came. Because that when she did it that one time, it was like, "Woo, that's rocking!" <laughs> Hit the red button again. Hey, 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 do that again. <laughs> so, so basically, coming back to what I said earlier, we took this is this is the night I had a residency at uh, Wayne Davis. Left Odell's and he had uh, a club called Club Fantasy, which he um, built from the ground up. And I was I was the had a night club, uh, at Club Fantasy on Sunday. So one night we took that cassette, Gypsy One, when she finally did it. We took it. I took it to the club because Jay the studio was like five minutes away from the club. Popped it in the cassette. And all the, everybody was dancing, you know, just regular. When I played that, and they got to by the end of that hook, la la la, la Lenny, they was throwing trash. Paper screaming, Dude, I, they, I'd never had so much shit thrown at me in the DJ booth. I played it like at least two times. I know I played it twice, and we knew then, oh man, this record's special. But we didn't know that this record was gonna be like a gold record. Blah, 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 blah. We just knew that you know the, the Queens was gonna. You had something. You knew you had something. I knew, I knew that the, I knew that the community that I was playing for was going to go crazy from that one night. And, 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 and then it was the new movie. And then it was uh, Miami coming up the, the conference where it was dope back then. And um, when the music conference and the party was in Fort Lauderdale, I'll never forget it. And Danny Teniglio was the DJ. And we get, he was the first guy to have the test pressing. Uh, Bruce Carbone gave it to him. He, had, he did this major party in Fort Lauderdale. And that night, when all of my peers is there, because at that time, we all went to the same parties. It wasn't this segregation, this and that. We all went to the same parties. We all hung at the same pool parties. We all hung together. And that's what made the whole winter music thing. The winter music, if you didn't go back then, it's nothing like it was back then. Oh, no. You can't even compare it. No, well, it is right. You can't even compare it. But... No, um, but one pool, you would do more things by the pool in the daytime and deals than you could even dream of. Oh, man, it was so lovely. I got a picture of, that I wish I could find of just all of us by the pool. Like, yes. like a young a young Louis Vega. He was little Louis Vega then. Frankie, yeah. David, me. Like, all of us, like, hanging around, just chilling. But Danny Teniglia killed that record that night. And, and Frankie went back to New York. Because he had a residency at uh, Sound Factory. He had just come back. Frankie Knuckles back from Chicago, back to New York. And he, he, and then Timmy at Shelter. Timmy at Shelter. And then when it got to New York, it just, it was, it was, it was done. It was Timmy at Shelter and Frankie at Sound Factory. Once, once we left the conference, it was over. The record, the record was, 
It was a wrap. Well, I remember putting it on a tape. I actually remember it was rolling around on tape because I had it on a quarter inch. I remember Camacho had it. I had a few of us were playing it hard. Nobody wow. it was yet. It wasn't signed. There was a demo version of Crystal Wars that was floating around. Always with some demo. I got major stories about my music being floating around before. Demo <laughs> I remember playing that thing at Wild Pitch. That's how crazy it was on a quarter inch tape, on a tape machine. Techniques real to real. Before right. it was, we knew what it was. He says, we knew it was basic boys. We knew it was, they called it La Da 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 or something like Gypsy Woman. We didn't know yet about Crystal Waters until all of a sudden, that winter music conference. The music conference, man. Danny Teneglia, man. That's my dog. I love Danny. He did out. He did the. Uh, we did a party with him in Miami to that twentieth anniversary of that a couple years back in Miami. Danny is an incredible DJ. Oh yes. Oh yeah, he's a fantastic DJ. Fantastic. Great, great, great. He knows the music. He knows and he knows how to do it well. So now. Bruce Carbone gets it signed to Mercury Records. I remember you guys, it's coming out of Mercury. What yeah, and all along, you know, I'm DJing. I, I really probably didn't talk much about that. All along this process, you know, I have residencies. That, you know, I, I, I had my, I didn't have a residency there, but I frequent Odell's, you know, as a, as a kid going there, as a, a, wanting to be there. Then I actually had the chance to DJ there. I opened up for T. Scott. It was my my opening night, you know. Lodi Holloway did a PA and T Scott. Oh my God, Lenny! I thought I was in. I I, I was. <laughs> I was no, I know because these are iconic, iconic, you know. And I love T Scott. T Scott. I think I think he, his style of DJing is where I pattern my style. I think my favorite DJs growing up was Mandrill. He was the DJ at the clubhouse. T Scott. And everybody loves Larry, of course. But Larry, I went to the garage because Larry's programming was, to me, was the best thing ever. His programming was incredible. But I've seen kids sit in the floor at the <laughs> Paradise Garage, you know what I mean? Play cards and shit, you know? So, it, you know, it, 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 Larry, to me, but if Larry wanted to turn it out, he would just turn it out. You know, he could turn it on and turn it off, you know? But the guys who inspired me, was T. Scott, man, Tony Humphreys, and Mandrill. Those are my, when I was growing, those were my favorite DJs. And those are some iconic DJs right there. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it's... Um, turning, talk about turning a room out. I learned, I learned from Mandrill. I learned how he was the, he was the first guy I see use three turntables and actually use them. Not just have them just for the show. Where, where one night, you know, he would be playing like um, Love Hangover one night. He was playing Love Hangover. And, you know, when she goes, don't call the doctor, don't call. Well, on the third turntable, we had a phone ringing. And the club went motherfucking bananas. Don't, and he would just back here and don't call the doctor, don't call the preacher. And he would just run that back. Don't call the doctor. And the phone ringing on the third turntable. It was, and you talk about turn the room out. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You see what you said? You're describing a moment. I've talked about this where I've heard people play. And those are moments you just never, never, never get it. Never forget it. Never forget it. 
No. You can hear the crowd going wilder. The news pulling their heads out, you know. And back then we had uh, bullets in the ceiling and birthers on the side. So you imagine that 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 dynamic between the bullets and the subs and the oh. JBL bullets in an array. Oh my God! They were in a night and a an array. A, yeah, the bullet tweeters. You know, some clubs had them in a round. Yeah, an array. And he means those bullets. They actually look like a bullet if you've never seen it. And when we were kids, they used to have them in green. And they had them in the crosswalks. And people used to go around. Right. <laughs> they used right. to rob. It wasn't, couldn't afford them. I used to see my friends had green bullets. And I'm going, right. I know where they got them from. Because they all went to the clubs in the city and saw those bullets. And boy, <laughs> boy. <laughs> Somebody asked, where did Mandrill DJ? Can you tell them? The clubhouse. Yeah, because it's residency. I went there every weekend in Washington, D.C. It was it was the most creative uh experience as a young guy, as a young jock. You know, like the things he was doing was like incredible. You know, like Dang. So, and they want to play when he was working. I mean, high people around because, like at the garage, everybody was a DJ mostly in that crowd. Not everybody, but there's right. so many iconic DJs hanging out. You could see them all hanging out. Was it like that? In, yeah. In the town, you know, was you had everybody else ending their nights and then coming there at three thirty, four in the yeah, morning. Yeah, 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 and um. I got a chance to play at the clubhouse. You know, I did a children's hour there. And and then my whole DJ thing just kept escalating along with the, as a production thing with the Basin Boys. So those two things were kind of moving, you know, together. And that's, and that brings up to probably where I met you, Lenny. Um, Cause my first time going to Italy was the Coca-Cola with Maurizio and those uh, Kevin Williams took me the first time with eight ball. And uh, those, those, those early days. Yeah, in the early 90s. Early 90s. <laughs> and that's where I met Victor Simonelli and you and, and uh, the whole crew. And we we just became this big family on our DJ expedition tour in Italy, touring all around Italy, Riccioni. And I mean, it was banana. We had the best times, man. I tell you, can't I can't I wish we can go back sometime. <laughs> Shout out to Maurizio though, because Maurizio back then he was the man, you know what I mean? Tony was all with us and we were just like, man, it was so 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 getting back to Crystal, we met Crystal and um Did Crystal have a regular was she just a singer? <laughs> He would know she was she she worked for the parole board, you know, and she wasn't into the house music or anything like that. You know, I like they, they don't know this. They don't know. Right. This. Yeah. She wasn't really we we kinda we we kinda like corrupted her a little bit, you know what I mean? With this <laughs> 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 anyway, 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 once Danny once that record blew up, uh we got the big major label deal with Crystal at Mercury, and we did three albums with Crystal. And you know that's just it just kept going and going and going, man. We did 100 percent pure love, and that's when we got spoofed by Living Color, as you mentioned earlier. And Crystal was pretty upset about that, man. She really was, man. She was. I can't understand her being upset. But I told her, but she she laughs about it, and in her show, she makes a joke about it. But at that time, to be spoofed by Living Color, 
huge. You got a you a rock. It was huge. Another big moment in, in, in music. Like you get spoofed on a record. That's like if he get only oh, down he spoofed Janet Jackson, Whitney Houston, you know, and you in that company. Wow, no. it. <laughs> no. It's like wow. I'll take it. I'll take it. You know what I mean? No, but, no. On Unsung Heroes 2, and his record was one of the first gold records in this music called House Music. Uh, Len, he, he's holding back. He ain't even saying that yet. So uh, about that part. Remember you did Unsung Hero, and they came and asked you that question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was on TV. Mama was on TV. <laughs> on TV, and they're asking him about the, the, the process of that record going gold, and it was the most groundbreaking record for its genre, correct? Right, How, right. What was the exact question? I don't remember what they asked you exactly. Well, it was the it was the first gold record out of the genre, basically, out of the house genre to go gold, you know. So, uh, and then we had that's accomplishment. And then we and then we did hundred percent pure love. Thank you, man. We had hundred percent pure love. And, and look, let me tell you something. I want to say just one thing uh, for the record. No one, and I mean no one, gets anywhere on their own. You know, we had we had an incredible amount of people helping us, you know, whether you saw them or not, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes or whatever, the musicians, the, 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 the artists, the promoters. And all. It just was, it was just, you know, things happening the way they happened, you know. But uh, we had an incredible amount of people helping us. How many would you say? Because I always say it takes a good village of people to make good village. Money. I mean, I mean, just the stable of like spin that into the picture what? right away. Wait, 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 wait. Spin spin into the picture right around um, alternate Tay's album. You know, like we were getting trying to get people to song. I mean, that that he's part of the village. Um, Neil Conway, Mark Harris, Gary Hudge. Um, there's there's an incredible amount, maybe, maybe a ten or twelve players of of people, singer songwriters or whatever, oh. that's been around. Um, Let me ask this question: You're familiar, of course. I'm not going to insult you. You're familiar with Philadelphia International Records, right? Gambling yeah. Hub. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. So, was the thought process at the time when this was all coming together that you were going to? Muse yourself after what they did, being a black company, being the disco thing. You know, yep. was that part of that mapping in your mind? We all, we all, we all, all of us as black entrepreneurs wanted to be Barry Gordy. It was really about being Motown. Motown. Even Motown. Yeah, it's Motown. But we didn't want to make records that sound like Motown. We want to make records that sound like Dr. Love. No, but we all wanted that. No, but we all wanted that factory, you know, where the, you were pushing out records and you have artists and, and musicians and the family and everybody played on everybody's records. I mean, Philadelphia International mimicked Motown, actually. So, it, it, you know, they just modernized it, you know, for the, for the times. But it's all it all goes back to the, the model, the man, Barry Gordy, you know. So the model, like the like Model T of Ford, it's like the model of Barry Gordy. Yeah, Barry Gordy is the model. Motown Records. That's right. 
And and we all and then and um I told Spin how to do it. Now he's doing it with his own label. Going down. <laughs> Which I'm very proud of him, man. You know, a lot of people, bro. I know, man. When I sit back, you then you want to take credit for it. We know that you meant it more than we than you want to say. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it makes me feel good when I look back on all these careers that you know I feel enormously, you know, I have a lot to do with, you know, I mean, these people are talented anyway, look what, they have to they have to make it once you leave the Basin Boys Productions, look, look what Ultra's been able to do once, you know, she had her wings and Crystal, and they've all been able to still maintain careers, and now Spin has his own label, so it just keeps growing and growing which is, just makes me feel even better, you know? So as, as now you feel really strong, you know, and and you should and be very proud that you are part of iconic history of dance music. Are you getting approached to do remixes? Are a lot of artists coming to you at that time um, from Europe, around the world? Are you guys getting calls? What's Yeah, yeah. We started to, um, you know, after Crystal's second album, 100% Pure Love, we built this million-dollar facility that SSL board you got behind there, we had like well, a couple of those and the spin headers room. <laughs> we had two studios. We had the main room, which is our room, and then Spin and Charisma. Charisma joined that. Actually, Maurice Fulton came first, and then Maurice Fulton left. He moved to London, and then Charisma came in, and Charisma and Spin started making records in the B studio. So this will be around, uh, we're probably moving forward to around like late 90s, early 2000s when we finished all the major label deals. And basically, Lenny, we we were at a crossroads like many of us. The, the, the house music was going through a, a, a thing. But let me ask you, before you get to the house music cross, the X, you know, where okay. we're looking yeah. at it going, what the hell's going on? Because here's the thing. Like you said, we built this million dollars facility, okay? You're looking for talent. What What are you thinking, like, with the major labels? Was it easy to deal with them, or was it a problem after a while? Well, it was a problem for, for us because I think um, that's what broke us up, Tommy and I, because we wanted to do – I wanted to – Mass Order was the album that did it. Because oh, Mary Voice, yes! <laughs> Mass Order was an R&B group, and Tommy hated R&B, you know, um, and so he, he he left the group, but but prior to that, um, it was incredibly difficult because all the major labels wanted us to do was make another Gypsy Woman. Everyone they wanted everything to sound like Gypsy Woman. Why? Why do they? Take because it, it was such a big record, and you know, That's major funny. labels. Let's just explain that because people don't understand. Okay. Well, well, when you have a successful record, major labels want that, that formula over and yeah. over and over. So let's say, for example, Bobby Shore, anybody. Call Everybody you. called. We got calls from, I talked to Paul Abdul up in the mountains on that call. I talked yeah. to Melissa Morgan. I oh, talked to, what did Paul Abdul say? I want a Crystal Waters record? <laughs> she was like, yeah, I want, yeah, I love this Crystal Waters. We got letters from Quincy Jones, man. I got it on my wall in the other room. Yeah, letters let's... from Quincy Jones. Jones saying that his kids love Gypsy Woman. Would you please work with Saida Garrett? And you know what? I told Quincy, I'm too busy. And I regret that today, to this day. I told Quincy Jones, 
We're too busy. Everybody, let me say that nice and slow. Quincy sends you, takes the time to send you a letter. A letter saying, wait, 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 hold on. This is the man that made the movie score Roots. Yeah. This man that uh, put Prince and uh, Fresh Prince in Bel Air, and you know, he's all behind. Uh, and you tell him, say it again what you said. I'm sorry, Quincy, but we could not. He wanted us to he wanted us to do two cuts <clears throat> like Gypsy Woman, of course. That's why he said it. Oh, he was Saeed Garrett. His label, we had a record label called Quest Records, where everybody don't know. And he was he had Saeed Garrett was one of his artists. She sang the I just can't stop loving you. <laughs> one of my S-I-N-G. So Lenny, we had to we had to turn him down because at that time we had four major label deals going at the same time. We had Bobby Shaw, MCA, those guys. We had a, a re- album deal with Carol Cooper and Larry Yasgar with Mass Order. Hot we had Alternate and Warner Brothers, and we had Crystal Waters on Mercury. We had four major label deals. Now hang on. And they got a lawsuit pending because Posse Lita Holloway with the with the vocal on the mass order record. Yeah. Weird. Go ahead. And no, no, and then another lawsuit. I sued Diana Ross. Go ahead. Take me higher because she stole 100% pure love. <laughs> it was a lot going on, man. <laughs> so how are you? So are you going to work with a suit and tie on or a t-shirt? And you no, head? I had an ulcer. I went in the hospital. That's what had. That's what happened. See how you leave all that out in the two thousand one? <laughs> Where's all this story in between? I want to know. We got nominated. We got nominated for American Music Award. We're sitting in the audience. Luther Vandross in front of me. I mean, it was amazing, the whole thing. The year before that, I couldn't go because I'm in the hospital with an ulcer. I think we lost to CNC Music Factory. We're going to make me sweat. It was terrible. But we got nominated. I mean, it was a lot going on, man, but it took me, it took my health. And I was really, I was heavier than this back then. I was like 270 pounds, you know? Anybody knows me, I was a lot heavier than this. <laughs> so that was, I guess, the, the, the also was a life changing moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then what else was a life changing moment? My friend David Morales. I love him to death. We were all at dinner one time, one night, and Frankie had just got diagnosed with diabetes, and he pulled me to the side. He said, Look, Teddy, I want you to lose some weight. You don't want to be like Frankie. You don't want to leg. You want to just want to start thinking about your health. And th- he don't know to this day that's that I hear those words in his head. It's, that's all you need to hear. That was the define. And then, of course, us losing him, which yesterday was seven years. He's gone. Right. Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. And and David, David didn't have to do that. Oh, wait, bro. Wait, 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 wait. True House Stories wants to understand this. You hear Diana Ross takes your vocal, uh, the track. <laughs> How do you feel? How do you feel? Come on. Yeah, cha-ching. I get that. <laughs> Before you get to the cha-ching, 